Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Shonda Rhimes, and we're bringing you Dominant Stories, created by Shondaland Audio in partnership with the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Who is she aware of when she's thinking about what she looks like? Again, is it for her and her health Mm -hmm. and how she wants to feel? And that's Mm -hmm. what I've been trying to make sure that she understands. Or is it for somebody else? Yeah. From the beginning, how are we having these conversations with our children? Yeah. Hey, I'm Jess Wiener, and this is Dominant Stories the podcast that helps us reclaim and rewrite the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our bodies, our beauty, our creativity, and our identities. So today, I wanted to talk about the power of beauty rituals, and specifically the beauty rituals that might have been passed down to us from within our families or within our communities. Just so that I'm clear, when I talk about a a ritual, I'm really thinking about a repetitive pattern or maybe a behavior that helps you ground and connect to yourself and others. Because I've been really curious about what these rituals might teach us about ourselves, how they help us form our identity in the world, and what happens if you have really strong beauty rituals, let's say, but you live in a culture where there is discrimination about our beauty. What happens when our rituals are erased and what do we do to combat that? So I have two incredible guests who can speak to the nuance and the multidimensionality and ultimately the confidence that can come from experiencing powerful beauty rituals passed down from within our communities. First up, I'm excited to talk with Ana Flores, who is the founder and CEO of We All Grow Latina, which is the first network of Latina digital influencers. I wanted to talk with Ana about her upbringing and childhood in El Salvador and how it helped to shape her dominant stories around beauty. And now, as a single mom, what kind of messages and legacies is she hoping to pass down to her teenage daughter, Camila? And then later, I'm going to be joined by Lovey Ajayi Jones, an incredible author and speaker and podcast host. And her latest book that just came out is called Professional Troublemaker. She encourages all of us to create trouble in the face of any kind of appearance-based discrimination. So I can't wait for you to hear this convo. And as always, if you enjoy these conversations, let me know what you think by subscribing and writing a review wherever you're listening. All right, let's dig in.
I am excited to dig into this conversation with you about beauty rituals and the passing down of those rituals in families, mm-hmm. especially from mothers to daughters. Because you were born in Houston, mm-hmm. right? Raised for a period in El Salvador. Yeah. Talk to me about what little Anna was like. Like I was curious, <laughs> like who were you as a as a little girl? As a little girl. So I feel I went through through a few stages because yes, my parents got divorced when I was six years old. And that's when oh. we moved back to El Salvador with my mom and my sister. I'm I'm the oldest. Okay. And that initial period I went through many years of being like a sad girl. Honestly, mm, now that yeah. I look back, I'm like, I actually put a post the other day where I on Instagram where I said like, I don't have a lot of pictures of myself when I was little as a eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old where I'm smiling. Like I don't have a lot really? of those when I'm smiling. So I, there's a lot to dig into that. Yeah. We're not going to dig into that right <laughs> now. But um, but more than anything, I was always surrounded by family. It was mm. a small nucleus. It was my mom and myself and I. I've always been surrounded by women, which tells you a lot about mm-hmm. what I do now. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with my dad, right? I did see him every summer, et cetera. And I didn't have brothers. So my life was always surrounded by by women. That's amazing. What mm-hmm. What is your mom like? And what was your relationship like with her? My mom grew up in a military family. My dad, my grandfather was a general. My other grandfather was a colonel wow. in El Salvador. So she she grew up very much having to fit in the mold and the standard of a lot of what we say in Spanish, um, calladita te ves más bonita, mm. you know, where we put a lot of emphasis into beauty and mm-hmm. staying in your role. You know, speaking up doesn't make you a beautiful person. Yeah, Speaking up is not your role. And she was beautiful. She still is beautiful. And she was a go-getter. She was mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. She was a single mom. Wow. And she did everything that she needed to do to make sure that that we were okay. And that's how I always saw her, like a very strong, beautiful, independent woman that now as I look back, I see that she was always also holding back a lot, right? These secrets, these calladita, these, mm. you know, not speaking up, those type of things that you you end up integrating into your life. Yeah. Well, how did she feel about her beauty? Did you even know that? Were you even aware? What would she say about herself? It was more what she did. So she mm. was always, always had time for herself. We grew up in El Salvador and, and we grew up in a privileged society because it was during the Civil War and I was in the capital and we 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 were privileged. Mm-hmm. And she actually had and still to this date has, I think the same woman, Erika, that comes to her house once per week to do her nails. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had a massage bed in her bedroom. Wow. She always had somebody come and do her massage. Always the hair is impeccable, even if she was playing tennis every day, like at the country club and et cetera. Her hair was impeccable. As an entrepreneur, she had the Benetton franchise. Oh, wow. So she was always fashionable, <laughs> looking beautiful. Um, and beauty was always very important to my mom and the way that she would show up and present herself. I love hearing about your mom's emphasis on rituals, rituals Mm -hmm. of nails and massage Mm -hmm. and like, and kind of the care and keeping of her body. I'm curious as you were growing up as a little girl in El Salvador, and and I appreciate the perspective you were sharing about the the class you were growing up in, Mm -hmm. the privilege that you were able to experience. I'm curious if there was a lot of conversation about indigenous rituals. None at all. None at all. None. None. Yeah. El Salvador is a very, very divided country, right? I grew up, right, in a, in a society that was incredibly racist, um, incredibly colorist. 
and classist. Absolutely, 100%, no denying. I mean, I grew up listening to phrases like mejorando la raza, mm -hmm. you know, which means like improving the race. One phrase that, and gosh, my mom will hate me repeating this, but I hope she feels ashamed of it now, not back then, because she did it, you know, it was it was a different reality. It's called, it said, cuando la mona se viste de seda, mm -hmm. mona se queda. That means even if the monkey dresses with silk, a monkey they will be. Yikes. It's horrible. Yeah. So part of what is passed down is that. Yeah. Is that recognition of the part that you play in society. Yeah. And how you're supposed to act in that privilege that you have without even calling it privilege because it just is. Right. So a, a lot of that was what I had to break through when I turned 18 and I moved to the to the States or to college and just make my own identity and start opening up my eyes and realizing what I wanted to bring into, into my world. And as far as beauty and beauty rituals that I feel that she passed out, more than the rituals themselves, it was the importance of having to put beauty and the way my appearance and the way I looked mm -hmm. with the strong emphasis of who I was going to attract. Right. There was a purpose for there that. There was a purpose. Beauty. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the phrases that get embedded in in culture and get repeated down. I think so much of this is about the legacy that we pass down around, especially when you mentioned colorism and mm -hmm. the idea that lighter skin is more beautiful, yeah. thinner bodies are more beautiful. Yeah. This don't come out of thin air. These yeah. are really embedded and sort of, and then embodied mm -hmm. where we kind of live those ideals. As a little girl, did you have an awareness of your beauty and people around? Like, were you comparative then? to what your skin color looked like, what your hair looked like, what your body looked like. Do you remember those as active thoughts as a kid? So not necessarily the skin itself because in El Salvador, we, we worship the sun. <laughs> At least my generation did. Like mm -hmm. we would pour Coca-Cola on, you know, just to get uh -huh. darker. Whenever for us, like tanned was important, but also tanned in that sense of like, oh, I can be out in the beach for a weekend tanning right. or by the pool is another form of privilege, right? That's so that right. was form of the class that you belong to that you can afford uh, to be tanned. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, no te pongas negra, right? right? Like you you're getting get too, too dark. dark. right? My mom's generation, it was about being the porcelain white and maintaining that. When you were talking about putting Coca-Cola on, I was thinking <laughs> about, I grew up in Miami mm -hmm. and I was do Lipton tea bags in the backyard, oh right? Oh my goodness, I've heard of that one. I like Lipton tea. <laughs> And laying out, but you're right. I think an interesting piece that we don't think about, I mean, because I'm a kid of the 80s, and so, like, you know, you wanted to get as, as dark as you can, mm -hmm. but I appreciate that you said, you know, that having the leisure time at the beach to mm -hmm. get tan is a message in and of itself versus yeah. I am, my skin is darkened by the sun because of the labor that I'm producing. And and yeah. I was curious, like, as a kid, I mean, so you said not your skin color wasn't, but did you mm -hmm. think about hair? Did you think mm -hmm. about body? Like, I'm curious. Oh, gosh, yeah. So... I actually got my first perm when I was, I think, 13. Wow. My mom gave, <laughs> she took me to the salon. She would have invested in me getting my perm. Like, those were the type of things that she didn't mind spending money in. So you're going to laugh at this one. But my high school graduation gift, it was a nose job. Wow. So wow. not a full reconstruction, just the scraping of the bridge. That was my high school graduation. Were you gift. conscious of your nose prior? Like, were those combos you had I with was, mom? but I don't remember being obsessed over it, right? That's I'm still like, how did that happen? Did I, like, beg her for it or it was something more? But then I, I go mm. back to, like, 10 years ago when I was I went to visit in El Salvador. And, like, I think the last day that I was there, she's like, oh, let's go visit my dermatologist. <laughs> And she's like, I um, think you need a filler already here. And I think you need a filler. You know, like those oh, are the things that, that yeah. she notices and that she's, that's her way of sharing her love with me. Yeah. 
I'm making this assumption, but I think for your mom's generation, my mom's generation, those aspirations were not questioned. They were expected, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's funny, and even in prep for this interview, like uh, I didn't want to make an assumption about El Salvadorian beauty ideals. And so like I'm doing some research on it and like lo and behold, like all the images that come up, if you sort of like put in like ideal body type, El Salvador, ideal, you know, beauty image, El Salvador comes up light skin, Mm -hmm. thin body, big boobs, big butt, small waist, very traditional, like how we see around the world beauty standards, Mm -hmm. right? Very colonized beauty standards. Absolutely. And so I was curious, like, if that is something now in the work that you do globally, if you see the proliferation of that kind of continued colorism, racist, like thin bodied sort of bias. Yes, from, I'm going to say probably even my generation and above. I love what I'm seeing from the younger generations, Mm -hmm. from the young millennials and the Gen Zs, especially coming out of our countries and they're reclaiming. In El Salvador, something really beautiful has happened. I mean, you have to understand that I was raised told that there were no black people in El Salvador and that it was done to protect them from slavery. In the Constitution, black people are not allowed in El Salvador. Well... Go to Instagram and you will find very loud Afro-Salvadorian voices that have been coming out. Mm. And it's this coming out. It's even this discovery of who they are and being accepted into society because they were completely, completely made non-existent. Yeah. So if we even come from that background and that understanding of the type of society it is, I mean, it has come a long way just by the fact that your fact that now because of this democratization of media and Mm -hmm. people are able to represent themselves, we're starting to see shift in the younger generations because they're now understanding that it's not just what they see around them, right? And and the society is opening up. So that leads me to think that we definitely are going to be seeing a big shift. It hasn't happened yet, unfortunately. It's really interesting when you talk about the democratization of media and the way that we see beauty images, especially in and around hair. I mean, I think now about the natural hair movement. I think about seeing people reclaim their curls and talk about texture, talk about Mm. care and keeping of texture. And I just remember being a kid like – having really naturally curly hair, never finding a hairdresser who understood how to cut it. I always had some weird like (laughs) triangular haircut where they would just tell me, oh, just pull down your curls. Were you ever told that? Like all I was told was just like, keep pulling at them and you'll make them longer. I was just told to like, (laughs) just, you know, iron them out. I mean, we literally iron with an iron. Yes. I mean, I did straighteners because I really wanted, again, growing up as a kid in the 80s, I wanted the waterfall bangs. That was like Mm -hmm. my, I wanted them so badly. And all I had were these like two poofs of curls. (laughs) So like I couldn't, if I, if my hair was wet, I could get it there. But for me, outside of all the body image issues that I did have as a kid growing up, like hair was a big one. And I'm curious in all these experiences now that you've had of like your parents getting divorced, being raised predominantly by women and around women. And then now you are a single mom raising your beautiful daughter, you know, who's 14? 14. 14. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, in now in this transition in your life, how you think about talking to Camila about beauty rituals or yeah. traditions. Like, how have, you, how have you addressed that with her? Oh, I love it. It brought this image of my mom that actually is really beautiful because so many conversations that I've had with her and still till now have happened when she's sitting in her vanity putting her creams and her makeup on Mm. or doing her hair. And she sits in the vanity and has everything and gets it all done, right? It's not the rushing about it. It's actually part of Mm -hmm. she will not leave the house. That's her morning ritual. That is her morning ritual. With my daughter, it's very common in Latin American countries 
the first thing that you do is observe somebody's weight, right? Mm -hmm. Estás gordita, uh -huh. estás muy flaca, uh -huh. you, you uh -huh. need to eat more, you need to eat less. You're I mean, it's all, you're, you're just never yep. enough. It's always something that you're not doing right, right? And that's a conversation that I have banned the grandmothers, grandparents, anyone to have around her ever since she was little. Like, so every time I talk to her about that, it's about her health, mm -hmm. right? So now at 14, she does understand that there's different standards. So mm -hmm. she is a huge Olivia Rodrigo Rodrigo, <laughs> and a Taylor Swift fan, of course. She is a Swifty. <laughs> and she's an actor. She wants to act. That's what she's always wanted to do. So she has a lot of people that she follows. But she's also very conscious. And I know mm. it's because of the environment that she's growing up with me and all the women and on that I'm surrounded with. And that she's very conscious about what when she starts to compare and when it's not healthy for her. So she will... I think she's off TikTok right now again, and she will like she will delete it she'll on her own, breaks. and she'll be like, "Oh, it's affecting me." Wow, I'm starting to compare. How does she know? Do you know like what starts? Did she? Start she to feels feel anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She feels anxiety, and she already knows how to recognize that anxiety in her body. And it really is her because sometimes I'll push her. I'm like, well, if you want to act, then your Instagram needs to be public. And she's like, no, I'm not starting. I'm not feeling good about my Instagram being public anymore. I'm going to, it's going to be private. I'm like, okay, it's up to you. She's like, don't push me. I'm like, I'm not pushing you. Wow. It can go private, right? Yeah. It's like the other way. Mm -hmm. So yes, we have had these conversations, but a lot of it comes directly from, from her understanding yeah. who she wants to be. Yeah. When I think mm -hmm. about, I mean, thank God in a way with all of my body insecurities growing up and beauty insecurities mm -hmm. that like I didn't grow up in social media where I had so much compare and despair opportunities. Yeah. I do think about kids today who are inheriting so many different messages mm -hmm. about what is beautiful, right? So you've got her dominant conversation with you about beauty and femininity and power. And then, you know, all these influences culturally and publicly mm -hmm. about what it could look like. And I'm sure if you love somebody like a celebrity that you just mentioned who they have like long straight hair, mm -hmm. that becomes also the aspirational and kind of mainstream beauty quality. Absolutely. And I think that's where it's important as a parent or as a friend to mm -hmm. have those conversations and be like, okay, this is what can we do with the, within the range of what you were given, right? This is the texture of your hair. <laughs> yep. This is what your hair is going to do. What can we do together like to make it in that case, it was like less frizzy or she mm -hmm. wanted a different haircut to help with the volume that yep. she has. You know, those are the things that are under your control and that why not, right? Yeah. Why not if it makes you feel more secure in a certain way? Why not if it makes your beauty routine, if it easier. makes it easier, right? <laughs> right? That's why we have products I, that are meant for different styles of hair. Now we have so much more access to that. We do. Where are you going? There's so much more of this juicy convo coming right up. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. 
Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Welcome to the other side of the ad break. Now, let's get back to the show. I think that's the common misnomer around empowerment is that somehow when we are building confidence or more empowerment, we have to eschew beauty standards. We have mm-hmm. to like not care about it. And I've actually found a deepening in my connection to wanting to feel my best self, what that means for me. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a give and take of like, always asking myself, like, why do I want that? Like, why am I aspiring for that? Is that truly something inside of me? Or is that something like societally that I've, like we were talking about with your mom, kind of absorbed and then internalized? I think that's the important part, right? Asking yourself that question, because I do love looking at myself in the mirror and and feeling good, right? I mean, like, oh, I like how that Mm -hmm. looks. I like that haircut. I like how this shirt fits on me. And that gives you a sense of like self-confidence and power in the way that you're going to show up. I love wearing sneakers, but I also know what a good heel does for my confidence Mm -hmm. and where I need to show up in certain meetings and certain places. And I will feel different if I'm wearing a good pair of heels. I mean, I'm 5'2", so that also (laughs) helps, right? Um, That's something that my daughter is actually very self-conscious about. She's, She's my same height, and she really wants to be tall. Oh, yeah. And she really thinks that being taller is going to help her more in, in life in general. Mm-hmm. So that's misconception of something that she has to deal with on her own. Yeah. That I'm like, it doesn't really matter. But that's something that for her actually does matter a lot. Well, you said something that's very interesting, which was about doing the best with what you've been given. Yeah. And it made me think about something. I, I printed this out because I wanted to read back to you a quote that you had said. I think it was when you were doing an interview with Lean In on the power of womanhood. So I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but I want to get your take on it again because there was something really powerful in having conversations, especially with young women or next generation, around the power of choice and mm-hmm. beauty. So whether a ritual had been passed down to you or not, whether you've picked it up from society, like that self-determination of like, why am I mm-hmm. focusing mm-hmm. on these things? So you said something, and this kind of goes back to your origin story that you were sharing. You said, my grandfather, dad, and stepdad, they never took care of me, mm-hmm. yet I still believed I needed a man's guidance. Mm-hmm. I kept hiding my true potential behind that belief, and it was time to let it free. I leaned back from my husband, releasing him from the pressure of being our family's savior and provider. And I leaned into myself. Mm -hmm. From that day forward, I pledged to take care of myself first. I was not a victim of my circumstances. And besides, I had a little girl that needed me to lead the way for her. And it made me think about male gaze Mm. and beauty for the relationship we have in being chosen Mm -hmm. by a man, let's say, Mm and in certain cultures. And the power of choosing yourself. Yeah. So that was a very powerful essay that I wrote for Lean In. And, and it was the moment that I almost, well, I'm divorced now, but that was the first time I was like, okay, this is probably going to go. My daughter was a year old. So wow. when you say right now, male gaze, the first thing I thought was that definitely Latinas, we, we love to look good for our men. But at the end of the day, we really are doing it for each other, for women, how we're showing up in that group, in that society, among ourselves. 
But even deeper, more than that, it really is about who you're looking in the mirror, right? I think what came up for me when I was reading that quote was we think about being chosen for our beauty versus choosing ourselves. that you're Mm -hmm. in your life and maybe in that decision time in your life. I love that you just said I was leaning into myself. I thought that to be very powerful and actually applicable to thinking about our relationship to our own appearance. Yeah. And it goes back to the famous phrase right now, self-love, right? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? At the end of the day, self-love is choosing yourself, is choosing that and seeing a lot of times when we are in difficult situations, whether it be like a failed relationship or when we're having to just be consumed by the hustle and the responsibilities and et cetera, the first thing that we let go is of taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And probably that first usually will be our nutrition, our exercise, and our beauty rituals. Yeah, We don't have time for that anymore. And the moment that we say we wouldn't have time for that anymore, we're saying, I don't have time for me. Yeah, Is that meditating? Is that exercising? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of that is beauty because mm-hmm. all of that feeds the beauty from within, right? Because beauty isn't only the makeup that we wear or how that's we choose right. to, to do our hair, but it is how are we feeding ourselves from the inside because that's the actual glow that's going to then lead to us looking in the mirror and be like, I want to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And I think why I resonated with that quote to you about your relationship at the time was I've certainly, I mean, been in relationships and have thought about relationships in a way where my value or my worth was assigned to how somebody was experiencing Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. or thinking about me. Mm -hmm. And I just think about that as a powerful beauty legacy to pass down to your daughter. That sort of body autonomy, that sort of independence. Is that something? I mean, from the beginning, just it was crazy how conscious I was when she was around family members and making sure that those phrases, those words of endearment and et cetera, were not embedded into her Mm -hmm. psyche from the beginning. And from the books I chose in Spanish to read to her mm-hmm. because I had to filter those too, right? What were the messages that she was receiving? And of what you're saying, who is she aware of when she's yeah. thinking about what she looks like? Again, is it for her and her health mm-hmm. and how she wants to feel? And that's mm-hmm. what I've been trying to make sure that she understands. Or is it for somebody else? Yeah. From the beginning, how are we having these conversations with our children. Yeah. What has this done for your body image and and kind of connection to your to your beauty? Now, like as you became a mom and, and as now as you're parenting a teenage daughter. Ah, so it made me very self-aware how I spoke to myself mm. in front of her and just in general. Because as much as I was putting boundaries for her and protecting her from family members and loved ones, et cetera, I had to do the same myself. So that meant that I had to always have an inventory of the words that I was using that were not self-aware of, that I could be looking at myself in the mirror and be like, ay, me siento gorda. Uh-huh. I look fat. I feel I fat. fat. Those type of things I filtered. I started being very conscious. And by being very conscious about that for her, it ended up benefiting me. I bet. And now that as I'm aging, I'm 49, Mm -hmm. how am I reflecting to her what the process of aging looks like and feels like? Yes. And how I am in my acceptance of my stage so that she can be an acceptance of the stage that she's going through, which is probably one of the most difficult ones to be going through. just puberty. The gaze now is of her friends, right? Of, Of her group, how they each identify and look at each other and judge each other at the end of the day. So for me right now, it's, again, it's, it's always continuing with the conversation of how what health is to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to be open to her with the choices I've made. Like, for example, I haven't I haven't had Botox yet. 
but I will. Mm-hmm. I know I will. Mm-hmm. I'm already looking into it, mm-hmm. right? And I want to and I want to be able to share with her yeah. why I'm doing it, how I'm doing, what what my reasons are. When I talk to her about it right now, she'll be like, "No, you're beautiful," and she's always telling me that. Do you know that my friends when they tell when they see you, they always tell me that I have a beautiful mom. <laughs> like it's something that makes her proud, yeah. right? For her to be able to see them, for us to be able to openly have the conversation. Yeah. So, it really for me is is how am I going to continue being aware as I enter this very difficult stage of of starting to see the actual process of aging yes. manifest in front of me. Yes. It's so much of that and it's looking at the reality of aging on our bodies and then it's also the world around us that disappears women of a certain age mm-hmm. from media. But I'm also looking at healing generational pain yeah. and generational trauma. And I know that that's something that you are working on as well. You've mm-hmm. talked about kind of in that way. I'm, I'm curious if we could talk about what it's like to heal ancestral wounds mm. with your daughter as a different kind of legacy to pass down. Oh, I am so proud that I know that so many things have stopped with me. Mm. <laughs> so many of those patterns and so many of those wounds I know are not being passed down to her. Just in the role of women in society in the sense of not speaking up for ourselves mm-hmm. has definitely been very prevalent in my lineage of women. That is something that she definitely <laughs> is not, not picking up. <laughs> not picking up at all. I mean, if anything, she has been surrounded by this tribe of women that mm-hmm. feel empowered, that are using that power in positive ways that are breaking through all these ancestral patterns and Mm -hmm. all these ancestral wounds and are taking care of themselves. And that's what she sees around, the narrative that is around her right now. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. And when I think about honoring the work that you've done with We All Grow Summit and then We All Grow Amigas and all of the work that you're doing around wellness in the Latina community, I'm curious how you talk with her and speak with her about her heritage and mm-hmm. beauty and what she's thinking about being a young Latina woman in the world and what that means for her. Oh, she loves it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she went to, we've had five wheel grow summits and she's been to all five. But when it comes to her Latina heritage in general, it really wasn't until um, during the pandemic that we moved to Mexico for eight months. Mm. And actually living in Mexico and her being immersed with the culture and with the people completely changed her image in general. In what way? We had been there for about four weeks. And I remember somebody asked her like, so what what is it that you like the most? Are you loving it? What do you like about being here? She's like, the people. Mm. And it was because of that sense of community and family that we have. And being surrounded with my friends, mostly women, and that most of them treat her as equal Mm -hmm. and would tell her when she's doing something wrong and would, you know, recommend her in a loving and kind way. And then just like, having this sense of always just happiness mm. and joy. And once we came back, that's when I really felt that she started completely identifying proudly mm. as a Latina. She had to have those interactions and those experiences herself. Mm-hmm. And that's such a powerful reclaiming mm-hmm. um, of identity, yeah. right? But I think the big piece that I keep hearing and like the theme of what you're saying is this like integrated intersectionality mm-hmm. of beauty, this like idea that there are many ways that we could express mm-hmm. and take care of. And that I definitely want to model for her. I don't want to give her any expectations or the way that things need to be done. This is how I do it. This is how it feels to me. And I invite you to be part of it. What feels good to you? 
Yeah. And if you're listening and and you didn't have the benefit of growing up with rituals and the mm. way that we're talking about it, the idea that it's never too late to start. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that you find what works for you. Taking care of yourself is beauty. Yes. Wellness and rest is beauty. How do folks listening support the work that you're doing? What's a good way for them to learn more about you and, and what you're up to in the world? I'm definitely active on Instagram and Twitter. Those are my two main. I've tried TikTok. It's just not, I'm not that... <laughs> I'm not performative on video. It just doesn't work for me. <laughs> what are your hand, what are your handles for IG? It's <laughs> Ana Flores underscore me. M E. And the work at We All Grow Latina, it doesn't matter if you're Latina or not. We're just very much about inspiring. Mm -hmm. And you will get to also, if you're not Latina, you will get to really see what this beautiful group of women of Latinas that are really about uplifting each other, how we show up and what are the things that matter to us. So we are at We All Grow Latina across the board on everything, including TikTok and everything else. Amazing. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to hear from you, and I'm so happy to hear how well you're doing. So thank you for joining. I'm always, always available to you, Jess, and <laughs> always happy to share space with you. I know. And next time, I was actually picking up a lot in the Spanish in this episode. Were I saw that. that. <laughs> Aprendiendo español, pero mi esposo no practica conmigo. Ah, pues hay que regañar. Uh -huh. <laughs> My husband, I hope he's listening to that. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you enjoyed that convo, don't go anywhere because I have a very special interview coming up with Lovey Ajayi Jones, also known as the professional troublemaker. And she's here to talk to us about so many things ranging from speaking your truth to power and beauty in the workplace. I don't care if my team is wearing sweatpants or a suit. We on Zoom. I'm encouraging us to get these people used to us all showing up as ourselves. And what we're seeing is change can happen very quickly. That's coming up right after these messages. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, hey, welcome back. We're here with Lovey Ajayi Jones. You ready to dig in? Well, hi, sweetness. All right. Hi. It's just so good to see you. And it's like such a weird thing that I, I'm going to formally talk to you through this interview. I know. This is who you are to me. This is how I experience the loviness in the world. I've known you for years. Yes. One of the things that I've actually loved in your evolution, at least in the content that you're making for social lately that I've been absorbing, is you share these incredible rituals for self-care and for beauty, and for connecting, and for grounding in spirit. So anything from auntie robes to Sunday gospel time. <laughs> How was beauty talked about growing up for you? Were there other conversations with women in your family about beauty expectations and about what you were supposed to do in order to care and keep of yourself in the world? No, I don't think my family really talked about beauty, but we embodied it. Mm. Growing up, like I watched my mom every day, she'd put on a red lipstick. And she would just look bomb. Like she used to wear those like fire skirt suits going to work. And I watched my grandmother like 
my grandma didn't really wear makeup, but she'd wear her gale, she'd wear her opulent outfits, you know, when she's going out. And, you know, the women in my family really took pride in taking care of themselves. So for me, I've been wearing red lipstick since I was five. There's a picture from my fifth birthday party where I have red lipstick on. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so even though we didn't talk about it, we embodied it. So I was watching them basically be these women out in the world. We've never shied away from bright colors. Like, so I really kind of embraced that idea that you can show up in a room looking like you might have on yellow, you might have on pink, purple. My grandmother loved purple. My mom even gave me her favorite red lipstick years ago. Mm. I still have it because I don't wear it as often because I'm always like, I don't want it to be out of stock. You want to save it. I'm going to be saving it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we I've never, I've talked to you about a lot of things, but yeah. I don't know if I've talked to you a lot about or know about a lot about your childhood. And I'm curious, you know, I know you came to the U.S. when you were nine, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I was nine. When we talk about rituals, and why I wanted to dive into this episode about rituals and traditions passed down within family and community and the sacredness of it, but also what happens when culture begins to erase it and destroy it in a certain way. And so I wanted to, I kind of was curious when you landed as little lovey here, like, what did you notice about rituals and culture around beauty in the U.S.? Do you remember having any thoughts of that as you were a young girl growing up? So when we came to the U.S., we started going to a Nigerian church here because in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And one thing about Nigerians in terms of beauty, we love gold. We love jewelry. Mm. I think one of the traditions that was in my family at that point was like every kid got a gold pendant with their name on it. Mm. I've been wearing a gold chain around my neck since I was born, basically. Still continue wow. to this day. The cross, multiple different crosses. So... Coming here, going to the Nigerian church, everybody was also like that. People's beauty still came through. People still had on their red lipsticks. People still had, I mean, everybody looked like a rapper. All the gold jewelry. Just (laughs) Coming here, I was like, oh, man. So this is just us to do this? Like the rest of my classmates didn't have on gold jewelry. Mm. Didn't have gold chains. And I was nine with two piercings in my ears, both with earrings in it. Most of them had one, if that. But it's something that, I was just like, oh, so I guess they don't operate like that. Okay, it's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think one thing I have been thinking a lot about as we talk about beauty rituals and, you know, I, I grew up with naturally curly hair. I've gone on and off with straightening it and curling it and changing it and not really loving the texture of it. And I think the natural hair conversation has really like, I wish that 12 year old me could have been a part of those conversations and and been able to kind of find more role models and products and all this kind of stuff. But I've often dreamed about cutting it short, like really, really short. Does it feel super liberating? So I had locks for six and a half years down to the middle of my back. I loved it. It was fun. But when I was done, I was done. The day that I got the advanced copies of my first book, I'm Judging You, it was April 20th, 2016. I literally was like, I'm cutting my hair off today. I told nobody. Mm. I called the barber and I said, I need to come cut my hair. He was like, all right, I have a time. It's six o'clock. And I showed up at six o'clock. He's like, before I do it, you sure? And I was like, cut it off. I cut it off. And I was like, I see my face again. Aww. It was so liberating. Mm. I think everybody should cut their hair at least once in their life. Especially as women. We tie beauty to hair so much, Mm -hmm. to how long our hair is, 
imagine tying like how attractive you are to something as temporary as hair, something that's ever changing as hair. You have to cut it. Otherwise it's going to get too long. A lot of women will say like, oh, I don't have the face for it or I don't have the hair for it or I don't have the head for it. Try it one time. And then here's the thing. Here's a beautiful thing. If you don't like it, grow it back. <laughs> I've often thought I, I didn't have the face for it, but now I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm no. going to. Everybody has the face for short hair. Do it. You heard it here first. Come on. Hey. Can we talk about shaking shit up a little bit? Because your professional troublemaking is my love language. And I tout and share your books to anybody who will listen. And we've worked together on a bunch of things, but uh, mostly a lot of our work together has been about speaking truth to power yes. inside of corporate settings. Yes. And, and I've been dying to have this part of the conversation with you, which is everybody talking about bringing them full, their full selves to work. And I want to know what you think about that, because what are we really meaning by that? Because I think like Chad at work has always been bringing his full self. So I want to know when you hear that, especially around appearance and beauty and, you know, cultural differences, when people say they want to bring their full selves to work at a company, what do you think that really means? So Jess, do you remember, is this the last time I saw you in person? Um, did a talk at a major company for yep. the senior executives. Yep. The yep. dress code was business casual. And on that day, I decided, eh, I'm not going to do that. And I have no problem with business casual because I'm usually dressed in business casual. I use, I, on a regular day, I have on a Ralph Lauren polo and, and some like boots and a blazer. But on mm -hmm. that day, I was just like, eh, because I wanted to show what excellence looked like in a different package. So I came wearing mm. a bright red sweatshirt that had grills on the front gold grills <laughs> and some red and black and white snakeskin Adidas that says you are beautiful and jeans. I was very casual, but it was flat, flat casual. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into the room and one of the senior executives of this major company walks up to me and was like, oh my God, I love your outfit. And I was like, thank you. And I got on the stage and I killed. They loved my work so much that on the spot, like somebody got up and was like, we should talk. And it was such an important moment because who I am in the world is to partially show that you can be exactly who you are. You can be opinionated. You can be a woman or be black. You can be on some margins. Be who you are and still thrive. Mm. So when we say bring your whole self to work, it's all the diversity of, not just diversity of experience, Diversity of tone, diversity of expression, diversity of style. You don't have to have the straight hair. And if you are at a company that dings you for not having straight hair, that is not a company that deserves your gifts. There are other places. Mm -hmm. I run a team of six. I don't care if my team is wearing sweatpants or a suit. We on Zoom. Like, sure, if we're going to an external meeting, we might have to dress up a little bit even then. You dressing up might also look like Nikes, you know, as long as they're clean. So bringing your whole full self to work means you're not showing up as a representative of yourself. You're putting full energy into the work without having to act and bend yourself to fit whatever boxes you think they want you to be in. And because that's too much work. So I'm encouraging us yeah. to... Get these people used to us all showing up as ourselves. 
And what we're seeing is change can happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. That is how change actually happens. So more of us have to double down on being who we are. But here's the important part about being who you are. Bring your full self to work and be excellent. Mm. If you bring your full self to work and you do have rainbow hair, but you are the best marketer on my team, what do I have to say? Why would I want to now ding you? So the part that I feel like a lot of people are missing in this whole bring yourself full to work is make yourself indisposable. Yeah. And I think, I mean, cosign all of that, but I still just got through with hosting a workshop where, you know, Black and Hispanic employees are talking to me about how they get up early and practice their tone of how they're going to be on a meeting. Or they dress themselves, love. This one woman was sharing how she'd like changed her outfit to make sure she, you know, code switched into company culture in a way that she wouldn't be called out for being a fiery Latina or an angry Black woman. And... I think about those women and men and everybody who are mm-hmm. still struggling with the balance and and knowing that there's a lot of discrimination that still exists yeah. in the workplace when you are fully who you are. And so I want to play I want to play this clip of you at a you're doing a TED interview because for me it sort of summarizes like a call to action I would love for people to think about in aligning their private and their public selves. And you talk about this really beautifully. So we're going to go ahead and play a, a little clip. Okay. You know, you can talk a good talk, but if you're not doing work, then what's the point of the talk? Mm. Ultimately, we have to put action to our beliefs, to our ideas, to our convictions. So you can be like, yes, I, you know, Black Lives Matter. But if you're a boss who hasn't promoted your most senior Black staff and somebody who just started got promoted over them, then the words that you said did not matter. So the do of it all is important. It's an exclamation point. What do you think about when you hear yourself saying those things? I'm like, yes, I agree, self. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Hey, self. Hey, self. You did yeah. that. But yeah, it's true. That's why I was like, all these empty words. It's the reason why I broke professional troublemaker down to three sections. Be, say, do. None of the other two matter if you don't put action to it. And people have learned how to sound good. People have learned how to interview well. People have learned to give great sound bites and then who they are behind the scenes does not match up. So if that does not match up, all those words were for naught. You know, going back to early in this interview where you were like, what did your parents say about beauty? And I was like, they didn't have to say anything, but I watched what they did. Mm. The do of it all is what's most important. Who we are in this world is what's most more, more important. If you are the person who's always quiet on social media, but you are behind the scenes making sure black staff is promoted. You're doing way more than the fool who put up the black square and said Black Lives Matter. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, they are gaslighting. So while everybody wants to make it sound good, do good. Yes. And for people, I think, listening who, you know, want to speak up and out against appearance-related discrimination and things that they might be experiencing in the workforce, there, I think sometimes people hear about signing a petition and they and they might be like, well, if I sign something, what does that really do? But, you know, sometimes the collective voice rises up in multiple ways. And I, I always to encourage people to 
find the spaces where they can be most active and most effective and do not release that pressure, like continue that pressure because we've seen things get canceled and shifted. We've seen legislation shift because of a a mass, you know, agreement. But you also talk a lot about how you speak up, how you speak truth to power, how you stay committed and consistent in that courage. One of the reasons I wanted to, to have your voice in particular in this conversation was the embodiment for me taking action is beautiful mm-hmm. that's the part of me that feels most beautiful and has very little to do with my hair my skin my eyes and those are like it is about my embodiment of who i am yes yes and so i'm thinking about as this all ties together what's the legacy that you want to leave for girls and women the little loveys everywhere about standing in their truth, about embracing their beauty, their identity, their troublemaking? I think I want my legacy to be that because people see me, that I give them permission to be exactly who they are. You know, look like who you are, sound like who you are, dress like who you are, embody who you are proudly, without apology, take up space. So I really want to be somebody who People say, Lovey was able to do all of that and she still won. I should be able to do all I want to do and still win. Living embodiment of the do. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's what you are. That's what you are to me. That's what you are to so many. Yes. I was, let's just, let's talk about the book. Let's do all the plug-in. All the yes. plug-in, baby. So Love Nation, I'm super excited about it. Imagine the best business conference where you then have the most lit after parties. It is like if LinkedIn was swaggy, okay? If LinkedIn was <laughs> was for disruptors only and troublemakers only, I'm welcoming people into Love Nation. It's L-U-V-V-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. Come in. We have a resource hub where you can take classes, challenges. Jess, you're about to teach a class in there, so I'm excited. I know. Yeah. You know, you have mentorship by me. You have discussion rooms. So mm. I'm excited for that. So I'm inviting people to join. And of course, my book, Professional Troublemaker, The Fear Fighter Manual, I wrote this book to loan people courage to be this voice for the moments when you do want to be yourself, for the moments when you want to ask for the raise, when you want to have the tough conversation with a friend. It is my best work yet. I agree. And it's a beautiful embodiment of everything we just talked about in this convo and then some. And I know we don't have time to do it now, but if you've not followed Lovey's highlights on Instagram about white people and Showergate. I need you to do that. And caucasity, audacity, documentaries of crazy white people. We'll talk about that another time. (laughs) Honest to God, you've got some great takes and we'll we'll talk about um, celebs not bathing in the future. Oh my God, God bless it. But (laughs) you are amazing. Thank you for always seeing me and sharing space with me, friend. Love you. you know, just having amazing nuanced conversations that could go on forever with two people that I highly admire. Um, So here's a couple of things that are top of mind for me. In both conversations, we touched on the power of family. The rituals sometimes that we're getting from our families are spoken and unspoken. It's also about watching and absorbing the world around us, watching and absorbing how our parents and our families 
think and feel about their beauty, how they speak about other people. It is really our responsibility, as Lovey pointed out, to protect the young people in our life and know that we're so influential in how they create stories around beauty and that the legacies we can pass down can be both positive and not so positive. I think the other big takeaway for me is that taking care of ourselves is beauty. Wellness and rest is beauty. That how we feed ourselves from the inside, as Anna talked about so beautifully, creates that glow from the outside. And then lastly, and this obviously speaks to my heart, being the living embodiment of action, of us being the do. So there are lots of different ways that we can stay involved in the things that really matter to us. I think job number one is to stay informed, get informed, get educated. Obviously, when you can, if you can, volunteer. And of course, one of the greatest ways to be the do is to vote. You know, in this episode, we've had such rich conversations with Anna and Lovey, exploring the nuances of our beauty rituals and the role that our families have in developing our relationship to our beauty and to our very identity. But in this conversation, I would be remiss not to talk about the other very real cultural and systemic biases that also can shape our relationship to our beauty and to our identity, especially and particularly for Black women. This is something that I address a lot in my role as a consultant with organizations because BIPOC communities are disproportionately affected by discriminatory policies and unexamined bias. And let me give you an example. Black women's hair is over three times more likely to be perceived as unprofessional. And that kind of bias can lead somebody to feel like they have to code switch, which is when somebody feels the need or the pressure to hide or alter parts of who they are in order to fit in to a dominant culture or group. And research has shown us that 80% of Black women say that they have to change their hair from its natural state in order to fit in at the office. As a response to this, Dove has helped to co-found the Crown Coalition to help advance anti-hair discrimination legislation called the Crown Act. And it is a law that prohibits discrimination based on natural hair texture and protective hairstyles. As of today, 14 states have passed the Crown Act and we have 36 more to go. So if you want to continue to get involved, you know, we've already addressed, you can sign that Crown Act petition at dove.com backslash crown act. But on that same site, there is a template for you to use if you want to draft a letter to your state legislators or your U.S. representatives to encourage them to pass this anti-hair discrimination legislation. And then lastly, if you are a parent or a teacher, mentor, somebody who works with young people and you're looking for a creative way in to have this conversation, I'm very proud to say that I have helped to co-develop a piece of curriculum with Dove called My Hair, My Crown. And it is a free tool. It is an academically validated tool that helps to boost hair confidence in kids with coils, curls, waves, and protective styles. As well, this curriculum helps to build allyship in others around this very important topic. And all of us together can then continue to be the do in helping to create a respectful and open world for natural hair. Thank you. 
If you're interested in learning more about dominant stories and how you can change them and challenge them, I teach workshops and courses on those and you can sign up for them at JessWiener.com or you can follow me on Instagram at I'm Wiener. And as always, we really want to hear from you. We're building this super awesome community of folks talking about the stories that they're changing in their life. And so we want to hear from you. Are, are you rewriting a dominant story? If so, tell us about it. You can write to us at podcast at dominantstories.com or we'd love for you to leave us a voicemail. You can call us at 213-259-3033. Don't stress. I'm going to put all this in the show notes. Next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to break the binary with incredible guests, including educator and LGBTQ plus advocate Addison Rose Vincent and fashion writer and creative consultant focused on plus size inclusivity and LGBTQ inclusivity, Nicolette Mason. These conversations are so insightful and nuanced. I am still thinking about them. I cannot wait for you to listen. Thank you so much for your support of the show. Don't forget to write a review wherever you're tuning in right now. It really super duper duper helps us out a lot. And remember, we are always learning and we are always growing. Dominant Stories with Jess Wiener is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.